26. Uh, we just finished our study in the book of John, and we have a guest speaker next week, and then uh, we have another week uh, in November before we get into Christmas season, and uh, of course we'll have a series of messages during Christmas that pertain to Christmas. And so uh, we're just going to take a little time out before we move into our next uh, book study to, uh, to just look at a, a psalm or two over a couple of weeks here. So today I wanted to look at Psalm 36. And I entitled today's message, A Great Contrast, A Great Contrast. Because in, in Psalm 36, we really, we really see two things that are, are drastically compared and contrasted. And it is the wickedness of man and the righteousness of God. The wickedness of man and the righteousness of God. Look at the first few verses with me. It says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. So the first thing we want to look at today is, is the, the wickedness of man. In, in this psalm, this is a psalm of David, in this psalm, David lays out for us basically some bullet points about the wickedness of man. What is man truly like? What is the wicked state of man? And the first thing I want us to see is no fear. No fear. It says, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. The word saith there means to mutter or to speak in a, in a low voice. It was often a reference to when God revealed a message to a prophet. There would be, he, would, he would speak to the prophet. He would, he would utter something to the prophet. It was often, often used that way in the scripture. But in this particular case, he, he's referring and he's talking about the wicked saith within my heart. In other words, there, there's, this, there's this voice within me, this voice speaking to me, uttering something, and this is what it utters. There is no fear of God before His eyes. But he says the transgression. What does the word transgression mean? And that's a big word we don't use very. We don't, we don't usually walk around using the word transgression. The word transgression is open sin. It is rebellion. That's what transgression is. The wicked man, therefore, his, the wicked man's sin declares something. That's what this verse is saying. It's a very interesting wording if you look at it. It says the transgression of the wicked saith. So the, the, the open sin, the rebellion of the wicked man says what? There's no fear of God. There's no fear of God. The wicked does not see God nor regard Him. And folks, I, I, sadly, I, I truly believe we are living in a day and age right now that, that this verse could have been written by any church member today. The wicked, the transgression of the wicked, they don't see or care about God. There's no fear of God. Listen, folks, if, if people in our nation would fear God as they should, this would be a whole different country we'd be living in. 
it would be totally different than it is today. If people simply feared God reverently as they should. It's interesting, Paul in the New Testament, he quoted from this verse in a passage in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and starting in verse 10. And we know the passage from Romans 3. We know a lot of what's there. But starting in verse 10 it says, As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And, in the, and the way of peace have they not known. There is what? No fear of God before their eyes. Similar statement to what David made. And Paul is now making it as he describes the wicked in Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God. Phillips in his commentary says this. He says, This lying voice which appeals to all his inner bentness and lawlessness becomes a lying spirit within the breast. This explains why wicked men go on doing what they do. See, folks, we have to understand that inside of us is a nature that does not want to obey God. We have a bent. You understand what a bent is? It's, it's how my mind, how my, my, my brain, how my heart works. I have a bent in my, in my inner being, and the bent is not towards God. It's towards self, self-gratification, self-satisfaction, self-pleasuring. The bent inside of me, it, it constantly wants me to go against what God wants. That's what's inside. That's the inner bent. And, and, and so uh, David here and then Paul here dealing with this, talking about this, are, 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 are trying to help us to understand that we carry this sinful man around with us. And this is why we struggle. This is why wicked men, as Philip said, keep doing what they're doing. Why do we... Listen, have you ever sat down and thought about why do I keep committing the same sin over and over and over again? You ever ask yourself that in, in the quietness of your mind? Why do I keep struggling with this? Because my inner man is bent towards wickedness. It's bent towards not following God. It's bent towards not doing it God's way. And so we have this problem. We have an enemy without Satan, and we have an enemy within the inner workings of man. A famous general one time told his enemies in Spain that he was going to take Madrid because he had four columns of men without the city and a fifth column within the city. And folks, it's that fifth column that gets us into trouble. It's that column that's within that gets us into trouble. I've shared with you before the, the sign I saw one time uh, where that says, we have seen the enemy and he is us. See, folks, there's a lot of truth there. And there's a lot of truth to what that general said. 
He may have had four columns outside the city. That could be helpful, but it was the column that was already inside the city that was the most helpful to conquering Madrid. But see, folks, we have inside of us, we have this, this, this man, this sinful man in us that is constantly pulling us to a point where we do not fear God. And I'm here to tell you today, the world does not fear God. They ridicule God. They blaspheme God. They make fun of God. But they don't fear God. And, it's, and, and, and folks, listen, it's up to us as Christians, we need to make sure that we fear God. We need to make sure that we have that reverential fear and a little bit of just, folks, that plain old fear. Because I think both are needed. Listen, when we talk about fearing God, we need to fear God reverentially. We need to stand in awe of who God is. I mean, when, when you think about His creation, you stand in awe, folks. You see pictures uh, of this world, just the beauty that lies in it. From, from simple things in, in animals to, to vast mountain ranges, to whatever. And you see the beauty, and we just stand in awe of who God is. And then when we think about His power, and the fact that He controls all of that. We looked last week in John about the fish and the nets. Remember God, Jesus, controlling nature. Making sure the fish weren't on this side of the boat, while at the same time making sure they were all on this side of the boat. Right? He controlled nature. And we understand there should be a reverential fear, a reverential awe of who God is. But folks, just like a kid often responds positively when they want to respond negatively to their parent because there's also another kind of fear, and that's a fear of I'm going to be in trouble. See, my parents kept me out of a lot of trouble as a young kid because I had a fear of them. I had a reverential fear of them. But I also had a fear of them because my parents meant business. And when they told me things, they meant business. I'll never forget the day I got my driver's license. And my parents looked at me and they said, if you get a speeding ticket, we will take your license. You know what, folks? So far in my lifetime, I have never had a speeding ticket. Still fear them. They might come take my license to this day. I don't know. But you know what? I didn't, I didn't speed as a kid. Now, I will, I will admit... I got up to speed awful quick sometimes, but I didn't speed beyond the speed limit. So, uh, but I didn't do that. Why? Because my parents meant business. And if they told me, we're going to take your license, they would have taken my license. So there was a fear to behave properly because of the consequences. As we read through God's Word, folks, <laughs> we see a lot of consequences that we should hold a healthy fear because of. So there should be a reverential fear. There should be just some plain old fear as well. But the wicked man, he doesn't fear God. Doesn't fear God. You know, that, that's a great way for us to just check where we are spiritually. Real, you can really quick, quickly check where your spiritual barometer is. Do I fear God? Yes or no? The answer is no, i got a problem. And it's not God's problem, it's my problem. Number two, notice what it says. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes. Flattery. The wicked man raises 
his estimation of himself. <laughs> Ever find yourself doing that, folks? Well, no matter what I do, it's not as bad as what that guy over there does. What did you just do? You just raised yourself while you put somebody else down. Right? That's what you did. You raised your estimation of yourself. What I do is not near as bad as what such and such does. That's what this verse tells us. He says, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes. The wicked man thinks of himself much more highly than he should. Now listen, let's turn back over to Romans just for a second and see how we ought to think of ourselves. And if there's anybody who could tell us how we ought to think of ourselves, it would probably be the Apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 7, I want you to see uh, what Paul has to say in starting in verse 14. Starting in verse 14, he says this. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Okay, so right away we're going to get a real quick picture of what Paul thinks of himself. He says, I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a new law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Okay, folks, so let's get the picture. In Psalm 36, the wicked man raises his estimation of himself. But in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, O wretched man that I am. See, folks, what should be our estimation of ourselves? Well, compared to a holy, go holy God, uh, we're a wretch. We're a wretch, folks, compared to a holy God. I appreciate it. Kirsten saying Amazing Grace. She didn't know that was in my sermon today. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that what? Saved a wretch like me. See, folks, we need to understand. We need to have a correct view of myself. Each one of us. We need to look in the mirror and take honest stock of what we see reflected back at us. And it's not pretty, folks. Not pretty. But the wicked man, the evil man, he flattereth himself. That'd be like me getting up in the morning and walking into my bathroom, you know, hair's a mess, I look a mess, I'm half asleep, I can barely see out my eyes, and I look in the mirror and go, man, you are one good-looking dude. That would be what it would be like for. I mean, absolutely preposterous. Not going to happen. Ridiculous, because I know what I look like. And it's not some good-looking dude in the mirror. But that's what it would be like. We, the, the wicked man just flatters himself. He just thinks he's great. 
He's doing wonderful. He's not near as bad as the other people around him. And oh, how many Christians feel that way sometimes? It's easy to cast stones, isn't it, sometimes? It really is. Flattereth with his mouth. Smooths over his conduct. Notice what he says next. He says, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. So, so two things in verse 3 here we get. The words of his mouth, are, are they're deceit. They're deceitful. They're lying. What, is the, what does the Bible tell us about the, a, a man's heart? It's desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? Desperately wicked. It's deceitful. We deceive ourselves. And we cease to be wise. And we cease to do good. The wicked man no longer lives in wisdom. Now folks, I'm sure if I were to take a survey this morning and say, how many of you want to quit living in wisdom and live like a fool? Nobody's going to raise their hand, right? That would be the stupidest question ever asked. How many people want to stop living in wisdom and live like a fool? But this is exactly what the wicked man does. He leaves off living in wisdom, and he lives the part of the fool. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23 says, It is a sport to a fool to do mission. It's a game. It's a game to the foolish to do wisdom. He delights, he delights in his mischief. It's, 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 it's a delight to him. It's a game. But a man of understanding hath wisdom. I love Proverbs because there's these constant contrasts going on. It's this versus this. It's a fool, it's a sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. (coughs) The way of the fool is right in whose eyes? His own eyes. Why? Because he's too busy up here at point number two, flattering himself, thinking he's so much better than he really is. So when you're flattering yourself, thinking you're so much better than you really are, and then your words are iniquity and deceit, sinful and deceitful, it's easy to get a better view of yourself than you really should have. And so to you, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Speaks of iniquity. Speaks of deceit. Notice what it says on verse 4. This is interesting in verse 4. He deviseth mischief upon his bed... He setteth himself in a way that is not good. What is he talking about? He's basically talking about he spends his life, his waking time and his sleeping time, seeking to do evil. That's what he's talking about there. He says he on his bed, when he's, when he's supposed to be asleep, getting rest, he's, he's thinking about how he can do evil. And when he's up in the morning, he puts himself in the way of evil. His life is consumed with evil. This is the wickedness of man. And then it says this, just one little last four words, he abhorreth or hateth not evil. The wicked man 
does not hate evil. Now listen, folks, I don't know about you, but if God hates some things, we ought to hate the same things. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. That's exactly what we're talking about in this psalm. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Folks, as believers, we ought to hate the same things God hates. Now, we understand that we're to love everyone. And in this list, you don't find people listed. You find behaviors listed. See, folks, I'm not to hate someone who's not living their life the way I think they should be living their life. Actually, I'm to love them and pray for them. But I'm to hate their sin. See, Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, he loved people, folks. But he hated sin. And he dealt with sin. He dealt with people that the world hated, but he still loved. And he dealt with them in love, but he hated their sin. And he dealt with their sin. The wicked man, he has a heart set on evil. So that's the wicked man. No fear of God. Flattering himself all the time to make himself look better. And and a heart that's set on evil. That's what what David lays out in this psalm. This This is the wicked man. Now let's go back over to Psalm 36 and let's contrast that with a righteous God. With a righteous God. And by the way, before I do that, let me just mention Proverbs 8, verse 13, the first half of the verse while we're talking about about evil and following after evil. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So we go back to the beginning here. What's the biggest problem? They don't have a fear of God. Because they don't have a fear of God, what, what's the result of that? They don't hate evil. See, if they had a fear of God, then they would hate evil. So that those two work together. But now let's look at the great contrast. Contrast the wicked man with the righteousness of God. Notice what it says in verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. What does the word, thy thy mercy mean? It means God's unfailing love or his loving kindness. How is it described by the psalmist here? His mercy is in the heavens and his faithfulness into the clouds. In other words, what is he saying? There's no limit. Where do the heavens stop, folks? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. We don't know where the heavens stop. They're just out there. Light years and light years away. They're just out there. And the psalmist says, God, your loving kindness, your mercy to me, is as unlimited as the heavens. It's just there. And it can't be measured. Can't be measured. That's God's mercy. 
Notice what he says. He says, thy righteousness is like the great mountains. I, I love that the psalmist here is taking God's creation that in its magnitude is just, is just so unbelievable we can't even begin to fathom it. You know, we can't, can't, I can't fathom the heavens, folks. Can, can you fathom a light year? I can't fathom a light year. Now, somebody can give me a measurement in science that this is what a light year is, but can you really fathom that? No, we can't fathom that. I can't fathom a light year. I can't fathom how immense the mountains are. You know, we, we live in Virginia here now. We, we have Afton Mountain on the other side of our state. Now, compared to mountain ranges, Afton is an extremely small mountain. It's nothing compared to the Rocky Mountains or things like that. But, but we have Afton in our state. I, imagine if I sent a dump truck to start removing Afton Mountain. How old would I be? What if I sent a fleet of dump trucks? What if I sent every dump truck in the nation? Would that, would that, would that hold Afton Mountain? I don't think so, folks, because it's pretty tall. When you go up over it, you, you're, you're kind of heading up into the sky. And, and it's small compared to mountain ranges around the world. So, so the psalmist here is giving us pictures of these immense things. What, what, are, what is a mountain a symbol of? Steadfastness, right? It's unmovable. It's unmovable. You can't move. We can't go today and move Afton Mountain. We don't like it in this part of the state. We're going to move it over to this part of the state. It doesn't work that way. You can't, it's unmovable. And so what does the psalmist say here? He says, thy righteousness, God's righteousness is like a great mountain. It's unmovable. It's immense. You can't fathom it. You can't measure it. It's unmovable. That's what he's talking about here. And then he says this, he goes on. He says, thy judgments are a great deep. Now he switches to the oceans. So, so he's covered the universe above us, the heavens, the clouds. Now he's covered the immense mountains that are on this earth and the fact that God's righteousness is unmovable like those mountains are unmovable. And now he talks about God's judgments and he says it's like the great deeps. What is the depths? What is he talking about? The oceans. Can you, can you fathom the ocean? Have you ever been on the ocean? in a boat or on a cruise ship on the ocean, and, and not when you first leave port, but after you've been out to sea for a day, and you get out on the boat, and you look around, and there is nothing to be seen anywhere. Why? Because it's so immense. And that doesn't even begin to think about the depth of it. How deep are the oceans, folks? Wow. So the psalmist here, he's trying, to, he's trying to contrast a wicked man and a righteous God. And he, and he, says, he says God's loving kindness is, 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 is just, it's just immense like the heavens. God's righteousness is steadfast like the mountains. And God's justice, His, his righteousness, His way of life, is, is, is you can't even plumb the depths of the ocean. That's the picture that David is giving us here in this psalm of a righteous God. And then he says this. He says, Thy righteousness is like a great mountain. Thy judgments are great, are great deep. O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast. So what has he done? He has now laid out 
I mean, just think about this, how, how intelligently David's laying out this description of God. He has covered the atmosphere, he's covered the land, and he's covered the water. And then he makes a general statement that God preserves man and beast. In other words, folks, listen, you and I have breath today because of God allowed us to have breath today. And the day that God does not allow me to have breath anymore... I will die because it is God who gives life. And, and folks, the psalmist is trying to help us understand that God is in control of all of it. God gives life. He preserves man and beast. Life comes from God. Life comes from God. And then he says this, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. He says, How excellent! How excellent! How perfect is your loving kindness, God! That's why man trusts in you. And how do we trust in him? under the shadow of his wings. Now remember when Jesus was on this earth back in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, and Jesus was talking to a wicked nation, Israel, in Matthew chapter 23, and notice what Jesus said to Israel in, in verse 20, chapter 23, verse 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, prophets and stonest them which are sent of thee, how often would I have, what, gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus Christ is basically speaking to what this verse is saying. He's saying God is there, he can be trusted, and you can hide yourself under the shadow of his wings. Just like a chicken, would, a hen would protect her, her little chicks. But the question is, folks, is will we hide ourselves there? <laughs> will we go to the place of protection? I bet my family owns 15 umbrellas. I bet we do. I, I, I really don't doubt we have any less than 15 umbrellas. And you know what, folks? I get caught out in the rain all the time. You know why? Because though I have the umbrella for protection, I don't usually keep it with me so I can hide under it. I own the umbrella. Lots of them. Probably six of them sitting right inside the, the garage right now. As soon as you come out of the door of the house, there's probably six umbrellas hanging right there on the shelf. But if we get caught in a thunderstorm today leaving church, I'm not going to have protection because I don't have the umbrella with me to put myself under it. See, God's there as some place we can go to that we can put our trust in, that we can hide under the shadow of, hide in the safety of. But if we refuse to get under the umbrella, folks, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do me a bit of good if the umbrella's folded up out in the car if I need it in the building. Can't hide under it when it's out in the car. And God offers us a place of safety. The psalmist here says we, we trust under the shadow of thy wings. 
And then notice what he says in verse 8. Verse 8 is a beautiful verse. They shall be satisfied. It's not what it says, is it? I skipped a word. They shall be abundantly satisfied. See, folks, remember what Jesus said in John 10.10? He came to give us life and to give it abundantly. Not just some drab existence. He came to give us life. And we can be abundantly satisfied when we put our trust in God. When we trust in His righteousness. We can be abundantly satisfied. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. What's he talking about? Anytime in the Bible where it talks about the fatness of a house, it's talking about a house that has wealth, has everything it needs, has food to spare. That's when it talks about the fatness of the house or the fatness of the soul. It's talking about having an abundance. And he says, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of the house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Satisfaction. Satisfaction that is found where? It's found in God, folks. That's where it's found. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. In thee is the fountain of life. You know, over the years, you always hear people talk about the fountain of youth, right? i gotta, I got to find this grouping of chemicals that I can smear all over my face, so I always look youthful, right? I mean, that's what, that's what women do, right? you gotta, you got to buy all these serums and all these things. And, I mean, you know, the cosmetic industry is, a, is billion dollars of industry to what? Help people look more what? Youthful. And this verse tells us that it's in God that we find not the fountain of youth, but the fountain of life. Where do we go for life? It's in God. Life and light. Isn't it great that life and light are always connected together? I love that in Scripture. So often we see life and light connected together. In Jesus Christ there is life. And in Jesus Christ there is light. Remember our study in the book of John, right at the very beginning of that study, John chapter 1 and verse 9. John the Baptist, describing Jesus Christ, said, That was the true light which lighteth upon, uh, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And verse 8 says, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The psalmist here says, listen, in Jesus Christ there is life and there is light. And then notice what he says. He says, oh, continue thy loving kindness. A prayer of David. He prays for God to continue his loving kindness. In other words, Lord, don't let it end. Don't let it come to an end in my life. Please continue it. Oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the wicker, the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. So David prays two things in these last uh, two, three verses, and then we're going to close. David prays that God's loving kindness would continue. And then he prays a prayer that the wickedness of this world would not overtake him. And then he concludes the psalm with this. 
There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. What is David saying? He has so much trust in God that he considers it already a done deal. The workers of iniquity have already fallen by the wayside and they're not getting back up. They're done. They're over. Why? Because I trust in God. Put my trust in Him. Put myself under the shadow of His wings. So folks, today we see a great contrast. The wickedness of man and the righteousness of God. And so we have to ask ourselves this as we can come to the end of the service. We have to ask ourselves, am I living in the wickedness of man? Am I living my life like the wicked man? Do I not fear God? Do I flatter myself thinking I'm better than I really am? Is my heart set on evil and wickedness? Does that describe my life? If it does, I need to get that fixed, folks. I need to run to God and ask for His forgiveness. And then if I'm truly living in righteousness as I should be, am I putting my trust in Almighty God? In the God that flung those heavens into existence? In the God who spoke and those oceans came into being? In the God who Job tells us, tells the water where to stop, and it stops moving. Am I, am I putting myself in the trust of that God, or am I trusting in self? That's what I have to ask myself today. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. We come to the end of this. This is a great psalm, folks, just 12 short verses. But some, some phenomenal thoughts about the wicked man and a righteous God. I don't know where you stand today. I don't know if you've got sin in your life that you need to get right with God. Maybe that's something you need to take care of this morning down at the altar. I don't know. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to put your trust in God, but you just you trust in yourself far too often. You need to trust in Him. I don't know. But we're going to stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the service. I'm going to ask Judy to play for just a moment. If you need to do business with God, you can sit right down at your pew and pray and seek God. You can come down to the altar. It's open as we just wait just a moment this morning.